You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Download past shows and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. I went pretty hard for a dozen years before I realized that I could actually give more to my family by fulfilling myself. And I'm not talking about things that are grand. I'm talking about the little things that speak directly to me, that energize me or give me the ability and the desire to do what I need to do in my life. What we think we become. And so it was really important to me to not think of myself as a victim, to not think of myself as a sick person that was struck by cancer. It was more important to really acknowledge it but quickly move forward and focus on positive things and everyday life, really. In Maine, women make 79 cents to every dollar that a man makes, and the idea is that they are working in the same job. And that's a problem. It hurts women individually, obviously it hurts women's families, and it hurts communities. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Seabags, Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, and Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 87, Mother's Day, airing for the first time on Sunday, May 12, 2013. Each May, we honor the moms who have made our lives possible. Most women find mothering to be among the most challenging and rewarding roles they will ever undertake. This week's mom honoring show includes guests Kim Kalicki, author of Mothers Fulfilled, Heidi Kern, cancer survivor and art director of Maine Home and Design, Maine Women's Fund CEO, Sarah Roof Lindquist, and board member, Michaela Cavallero. I am fortunate to be surrounded by many wonderful mothers in my own life, my own mom, my sisters who are mothers, my sisters-in-law who are mothers, and many women who are mothering the children who play with my own children. Mothering is a difficult role sometimes. It's the role that I've learned the most in myself, and I'm fortunate that my kids keep showing up to teach me all the things that I need to know to be the best mother possible. So I'm fortunate today to be talking to women who are going to also continue to teach me the types of things that I, as a mother, could benefit from to be the best mother possible for my own kids. We hope you enjoy our interviews today with Kim Kalicki, Heidi Kern, Sarah Roof Lindquist, and Michaela Cavallero. And let us know what you think. Mother's Day is the day that we honor the women who allow us to go forth and do good things in the world, whether these are women who um, are our biological mothers, these are women who are adoptive mothers, or even the mother figures who have helped raise us, our grandmothers and our aunts or other special women in our lives. Kim Kalicki is herself a mother who has enabled two fine sons to go out and um, do good in the world. And she's 
bringing her message to other mothers um, through her book, Mothers Fulfilled. She's also the author of Away at a Camp in Maine, and she is the Assistant Vice President of Client Services at RM Davis right here in Portland. Thanks for coming in today, Kim. Thank you for having me. Kim, this book, which just came out, so it's kind of hot off the press, called Mothers Fulfilled, it has snowflakes on the, ca- on the cover, and you said this was very intentional. It was intentional. Um, The snowflakes represent that every woman is unique. We should not try to follow the same path or have the same journey. That it's a beautiful thing that we are unique. This is one of the things that, um, one of the passages that I kind of earmarked as I was going through. We women need to respect each other and each other's decisions. We are all needed in our world for what we can authentically bring. Diversity is wonderful for any group And remember, we're all wired differently at our very cores. We could never live the same lives. We need to support and help one another, not criticize or pass judgment on what others are doing. After parenting this long, frankly, I've lost all sense of certainty. Mm -hmm. Our goal should be to do what is right for us and for our families to the best of our abilities, and then we should respect all women for the choices they make. That's sort of a core message, I think that you're trying to put forth. It's absolutely a core message, and I actually had an agent turn me down because she said, you have to tell your reader what to do. And I said, I won't do that. I am just trying to share what my life has looked like, the reality of it, um, so that women can make their decisions from a platform of knowledge. You also used some interesting research. I believe that one of the things that you talked to very early on um, comes from the Shriver Report, which was a study by Maria Shriver and the Center for American Progress published in October 2009 that describes this notion that even though your story is unique and all women have unique stories, there's some research behind this. Absolutely, and the Shriver Report was my reason for writing the book. Um, Of the women my age whom I know, I am one of a handful who has worked full-time all the way through. And the Shriver Report um, is a very comprehensive study on working families that I read with great interest. And in it, Maria coins the phrase, it's a woman's nation, because women are now more than 50% of the workforce. And what she says in the report is that women who look like me and who are trying to do what I have done for the last 22 years are now becoming more prevalent and may become the norm in society. And I felt such a responsibility to show women what that looks like because at the age of 51 and with 2020 hindsight, I don't think the track I have taken is the best route. And so in the book, I share the two things that I would do differently. Well, talk to me about those two things. Um, Firstly, I would have worked less than full-time for crucial periods in my life or my family's life because we all had crucial periods and we had them at different times. Um, I would have left my firm to do so. Like, it's that important, I think. And for me, a four-day work week would have been perfect where, again, every woman is different, so maybe two days are better, maybe nine to three working days are better, Um, but just a little flexibility in a very tight schedule. 
Um, the second thing I would have done differently is sought my own fulfillment earlier than I did. I went pretty hard for a dozen years before I realized that I could actually give more to my family by fulfilling myself. And I'm not talking about things that are grand. I'm talking about the little things that speak directly to me, that energize me, or give me um, the ability and the desire to do what I need to do in my life. So what are some of those things for you? Um, early on, it became running. And um, 30 minutes in the morning. When my children were small, it was 20 minutes. And I found that that 20 minutes alone, and the harder my day, the faster I ran. Um, everybody got so much mileage out of my doing that. It was 20 minutes. You know, it was not, it didn't take up um, a huge part of something I should have been doing for them. But yet they got so much from it. The tagline for my book is actually, Mothers Fulfilled are more devoted givers. So we can actually give more to everyone by fulfilling ourselves. It also um, became important from, from reading your book that you spent time with other mothers, spent time with other women. I would say my biggest piece of advice to women would be to have girlfriends. I am very fortunate in my life that I have girlfriends from middle school that um, watching how they do things, having them to support me, you know, give me a hug when I need it, give me advice, a laugh. Again, my family has gotten so much mileage out of the time that I spend face-to-face -face with my girlfriends. You also have a very good and collaborative relationship with your husband, who you also met, I think, when you were 13? <laughs> yes, 13. I didn't mean to meet the right man the first time out of the gate, but I was mature enough to know it when I did. And again, why I worry about women trying to do what I have done is I have seen that the women who are successful at it they have partners that are true partners that really do share in everything with the household. Um, and they usually have a support system of family nearby. And I know that a lot of women don't have that. So that is, again, why I'm concerned for women trying to do what I have done. I have had a huge support system. Now, your husband, I believe, was able to work um, hours. So he went in early, and he came home early, so he was able to spend time with your sons in the afternoons during their formative years. And you also had a mother who took an early retirement and for a time helped take care of your boys. You paid her. Um, but it, it really was a very sort of village-like atmosphere. Yes, and I, one of the themes of my book is interdependence and the importance of interdependence. In your, you know, I think Stephen Covey, when he lists... Um, the phases of maturation. Um, you know, at first you're dependent and then you become independent. Interdependence is actually a higher level. And, you know, that's where the one and one come together and make much more than two.
So there's a lot of positives with working interdependently. And again, I, I think I'm a better mother because I do work. I would never want to not work. And I think that my children getting the benefit of having that relationship with my mother, with my husband, with daycare and other people in their lives, I think it's helped make them the well-rounded people they are. And there was a comment that I believe one of your sons made about this very idea. He did. Um, At one point I said to him, and this was not too long ago, you know, maybe five years ago, um, I said on a day off, oh, I so love having a day off. You know, I wish I worked part-time. And I think he was 15 or 16. And he said, why would you want to do that? And I, and I was incredulous because I thought, does he not see me as a chicken with my head cut off, r- never sitting down, like going, going? And what I discovered is he doesn't see me that way. He doesn't, he's not a son who feels neglected or... I think it has empowered my sons to see me do things for myself and work, and and I think it's encouraged them to do the same for themselves. It's been a positive. One of the things that you talk about is wishing that you could have worked four-day weeks during the formative parts of your children's lives. And you tried so hard to make this happen. You know, to read this for me was... Um, well, something I could really relate to. I, I also have I have a 19-year-old son, 17-year-old daughter, um, 12-year-old daughter. And as a doctor, I really wanted to be able to say, look, I'll come in, I'll be the best doctor I can for this many days a week, and then I just need to be able to spend time with my daughters. And I was able to make it happen somewhat. But medicine is a little bit like the financial world, where that's, it's hard. So it was somewhat heartbreaking to read the story about arranging to do a shorter wor- work week with one of the managers and then having to go to Boston and have to defend it and hugely pregnant with your maternity dress on. And, you know, you tried so hard to make it work. I did. And I, I so another thing that I have tried to do in the book is um, I share what I would do differently. I share through stories and real family situations what it has looked like, the good and the bad. And then I try to share some tips for things that when I was in the thick of it, I didn't realize that it was a good idea. I can only see those things now as I look backward. And so I offer them to women. And one of the things that I share all the way through is how my husband and I both picked and chose and tried to negotiate for time like we shared when there was a sick child you know he would take one time I would take the other time so that neither company felt we were um, you know not living up to their expectations and we tried to schedule you know our hours and everything so that we could be with our kids as much as possible. And I did share in the book that a neighbor once said to me um, that for two full-time working people, we seem to be home with our kids more than anyone she knows. And we haven't been. It's just that we've chosen very carefully. You did talk about that. You did talk about the fact that early on, you spent time with your children, your husband, the rest of your family. And that was pretty much it. 
That's you really right. had to pull back and just prioritize. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And all these other things I have to put away for right now. That's right. And someone had said to me once, um, it seems like you have formed a very tight circle. And it's very hard to get in that circle. And I hadn't thought of it that way until he said it. But I said, you're absolutely right, and that has come by design. Um, my mother just called me on my birthday, and she read who I am as a Taurus and whatever. And one of the things it said is that I am a realist. And so I think one thing I did know as I was going through is I knew my limitations, and I had to pick and choose. I knew what was important to me. Both you and your husband also bumped up against your limitations. One of the reasons you started running from what you told me, um, or from what you say in the book, is that your husband lost all of his hair at some point. He, and he was completely stressed out. He was told that they, there was no reason for this happening other than stress. And you said, well, if he's not going to run, I'm going to run. Yes, and my I had no intention of running. Um, I only did it because when he lost his hair, he completely shut down. And he said, I will wait till I become myself again, and then I will do the things I always did. Well, he's always been a runner. And I knew that if stress was the cause of this, the worst thing he could do was stop running. So knowing how he likes to teach me, I thought I will start running and he will want to give me tips. And, and um, he did exactly that. Um, but his losing his hair was actually the reason um, I was able to get, when my sons were two and six, my husband lost all his hair. My two-year-old was just starting daycare because my mother had moved to Florida. She could no longer take care of my children. Um, he wasn't taking to it. So we would leave each other crying every day because he was, he was old enough to say, Mommy, take me to my home like it was bad and then my first grader for the first time ever said mom why don't you come into the classroom like the rest of the mothers do and I said what do you mean and he said well you know Jimmy's mom comes on Tuesdays and you know James's mom comes at noon for snack and blah blah he had this whole schedule down and so it was the combination of the three of them crashing all at the same time that I had to go to my employer and say, please, can I work four days? There was some indication that um, this was going to be difficult pretty early on. Here's one paragraph. I had a bout of the blues after my first son was born. My doctor said it was not postpartum depression since it occurred four months after his birth, but was more likely exhaustion. Whatever it was, it was a scary few weeks of my life, unlike any others I have had. I did not actually plan suicide, but I thought of death and would have welcomed it as an escape. That's a really powerful thing to say. It is, and I everything about being a mother has made me a better person. Um, I have more empathy for people with depression or because of this tiny bout that I had. And I had a bout with both boys, actually. And it was a short period of time, thankfully, and I was able to function through it, although it was the hardest thing was not being able, you know, through fulfilling myself or running or whatever, but not being able to get myself out of it. I think that's the thing with depression. When you try to, you know, you try to do all the right things to shake it, 
and you can't. It's out of your control. So again, that is a concern for mothers. I'm sure a lot are in the boat that I was in, and I'm thankful I came out of it. We'll return to our program in a moment. On the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long understood the important link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the subject is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. It's Mother's Day. What do you get for a person who carried your children for nine months? What do you get for a person who gave up her career to stay at home and take care of and raise those same children? What do you get for a person who gets up at oh dark 30 to create the extra time needed to care for herself because that's what it takes? What do you get for the person who after cleaning and cooking and caring for all the family needs still has time to respond to all of our wants? Our want for love and affection? Our want for fun and laughter? Our want for spontaneity and surprise? What do you get for the mother who loves you as a friend and as a fan and supports you in your pursuit of all your goals? What do I get for the most beautiful person I've ever known? What do I get? Funny how I think I should get anything. What do I give? Now I'm in the right frame of mind. The mind of a mother. Love is what we give. Be her friend, make sacrifices, be a family, support her passions, Show her she's beautiful. And all of these are love, and that is what mom wants on Mother's Day. So today, don't call us. Call your mom. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. You've really been in what many would describe as a man's world. You are in the financial field and you have been your entire career. Mm-hmm. What has that been like, trying to also simultaneously be a very good mother? Mm. Um, I grew up with all sisters, so grew up in a house of women, and now I say my entire adult life, I have been surrounded by men. Um, again, huge positive overall from me. Um, I think financial services is, it's hard driving, it's type A, um, it's not a lot of emotion, um, they work night and day. Um, I did have a boss who said to me once, which at the time I was, I had to um, think about it a little bit, she said to me, um, you are about the most work-focused person at work 
that I have worked with who is a parent. And I, at first I thought, ooh, is that bad, like that I'm too focused here? And then I thought, no, it's not bad because I do it equally well at home. When I'm at home, I was focused at home. And when I was at work, I was focused at work. So I think the men I've worked with, like because I have been very work focused, it has worked. But now at midlife, <laughs> you know, I've started writing and I'm connecting with, um, you know, women writers and that creative softer side is dying to get out at this time. At your place of work, one of your jobs was actually to, um, I'm going to put manage, but in quotes, but to um, interact with other people and deal with their concerns and their situations. And that also struck me as a very almost mothering type role. Oh, very much. I feel like um, as a supervisor and a manager and the go-to person for questions, um, I both sides have offered things to the other. So sometimes in how I work with adults, I have been interested to see that perhaps they haven't been taught certain things. or, And so some of the things I was teaching my children I, you know, big one is um, a well-placed apology. I am amazed in the working world um, at people who cannot sincerely apologize for something they've done. And I taught that to my sons in the first grade and the importance of it. And it's not easy. Like, that isn't an easy thing. But I think, you know, both sides of my life have contributed to what I've wanted to coach and teach the other side. Um, I do think it's harder for mothers working, too, when you are doing the same thing on both sides. And I think that especially is true for teachers. Like, to teach small children all day and then go home to your own small children, there must be some really tough years there. I don't think I have run across anything that kind of gets so much to the core of just being human in the society, as does mothering and parenting, but really mothering and, and us just trying to negotiate what all of this looks like as the family continues to change and evolve and right. women are in the workplace. So I, I think it is, it's a touchy thing and everybody's got their own personal response to it. And so you're very brave to be putting this out there and saying, I don't have the answers, but Here's been my experience. Yes, and so my older son had told me, Mom, you haven't really made it until you have any haters. So I am already at the place. I have received so much positive response from this book that, you know, if someone disagrees with me or whatever, I am totally fine with that because already what it has given to people, it was worth it. It was all worth it. Do you have any tips for young mothers? this Mother's Day? Yes. Um, do something that fulfills yourself. Um, I also, I, I'm, I wrote a blog this morning, actually, on my own mother. Um, and I said, I don't care much about birthday presents or Christmas presents myself, but from the very first Mother's Day, <laughs> some sort of recognition was very important. So I think women need to... Um, enjoy the day and do something special for themselves because 
the message of my book is that what you are doing as a mother matters maybe more than anything in this world. So it's so important that you're acknowledged for that, thanked for that, and are enjoying it. Kim, how can people learn more about your writing and about your book? Um, my book is available right now, where it is new, on Amazon.com. Um, I am also a guide. Oh, I have been um, selected as a regular writer to MariaShriver.com. Um, they solicited me, so someone can search for my name on Maria Shriver's website and can read additional pieces by me. I also write a blog. So if people Google Kim Kalicki, um, I, my first book is selling at the Freeport store of L.L. Bean. Um, again, a lot of positive. I have grandfathers. They must Google me, and they email me about my first book and away at a camp in Maine, and they say, you captured it. Like, I've bought it for my 13 grandchildren. And so a lot of fun with this writing. <laughs> well, we've had a lot of fun with you and also learned a lot. I believe anybody who's listening who is either a mother herself or has some mother role or is somebody who supports a mother can benefit from um, the work that you're doing. We've been talking with Kim Kalicki, who is the mother of Mothers Fulfilled and also away at a camp in Maine. Um, we really appreciate your coming in and talking to us today. Thank you for having me. The goal of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is to help make connections between the health of the individual and the health of the community. The goal of Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes is to deepen our appreciation for the natural world. Here to speak with us today is Ted Carter. One of the things I often pay attention to is my dreams. My dreams are, are something that speak volumes to me, and nature speaks to us constantly through our dream states. An incident that happened just recently was I had a very prolific dream about spiders, and, and a spider in particular. And I woke up and I thought, well, that's interesting. I'm going to have to look that up. And I always go to Ted Andrews' Animal Speaks book for the information. And I no sooner was able to reach for that book than one of my employees came in uh, who works for me in my landscaping company and said, boy, I had a dream about a spider last night. And I said, Charlie, what was that? And he said, oh, it bit your dog. And your dog had a, went into a convulsive state. And I said, you're kidding. I said, well, I dreamt about a spider. I said, well, there's some, some significance here. So I went and uh, checked on spider at the Ted in the Ted Andrews book. And spider is the weaver and, and it links the past and the future, the symbol of infinity, actually. It teaches us to maintain balance between the past and the future. It teaches us that everything you do now is weaving what you will encounter in the future. So in a sense, it's getting us to wake up. It's also about assertiveness of the creative force. So these are little signs in nature that come to us in our dream states. And there's something to pay attention to. I am Ted Carter, and if you'd like, you can contact me at ted at tedcarterlandscapes.com. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsor. Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. At Orthopedic Specialists, ultrasound technology is taken to the highest degree. With state-of-the-art ultrasound equipment, small areas of tendinitis, muscle and ligament tears, instability and arthritic conditions can be easily found during examination. 
For more information, visit orthocareme.com or call 207-781-9077. Well, it's Mother's Day, and as the mother of three, I know that that has taken up a really important part of my life. I consider it probably my most important role. And I suspect that the woman who's sitting across the microphone from me today also considers um, her mother in one of her most important roles. In addition to being the art director for Maine Home and Design magazine, Heidi Kern is a mother of two and is a cancer survivor. And as a relatively young woman, I think she feels like she has something to be thankful for every day. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for coming in and talking with us about this today. Thanks for having me. So it's been a year. It has been a year. Yeah, tell me about, tell me about this. I mean, you are, you're, you're young and you have your children, Lily is 11, Charlie is nine. Um, you have a young family, you're the art director for Maine Home and Design Magazine. I mean, you have this, what would seem to be a fairly normal and possibly idyllic life living in Maine. And then one day something happens and it changes everything for you. Absolutely, it was uh, completely unexpected, completely out of the blue. Um, you know, I lived what I considered to be a very healthy lifestyle. And so it was really just a complete shock and really a fluke that it was that I discovered um, that I had cancer and lucky that I discovered it when I did. So what was it? How, and how did you discover this? What was sort of paint a picture for the people who are listening? Um, well, I noticed that I had a hard um, bump that I hadn't noticed before on my chest. Um, and, you know, at first you think, you just, you don't think much of it. And then um, I went to my doctor and, and they felt it as well. Um, so they sent me for a mammo because it seemed that that would be the logical thing to do. Um, but the mammo didn't show anything. Um, and so I thought, great, you know, everything's fine. And um, about four or five months passed, and it was still there. And it was kind of nagging at me. Why, you know, how come, what is this? And um, my daughter had broken her elbow, and we were making trips down to Boston Children's because she needed surgery, emergency surgery. Um, and I kept walking by Dana-Farber Cancer Center, um, and just something was nagging at me to, to have it checked. And so, um, and so that's how, you know, upon further CAT scans and exploration, that's how it was discovered. What type of cancer was it? Um, it is a type of sarcoma, a very rare bone cancer. I mean, one that's probably diagnosed you know, less than 200 times in a year. It's just a very random, you know, no known cause, bizarre type of cancer. It's a funny thing because you're describing this, this rare cancer in a, in a young woman, and you don't even have the camaraderie, not that it's a great camaraderie to have, but of say the women who have breast cancer, or, or you don't even have the people um, the, the great many people who have suffered from lung cancer. I mean, you're, you're dealing with a pretty strange and different cancer, and it must have felt pretty alone. It was, um, 
you know, it was just shocking. And uh, the first thing, you know, I started doing was was Googling. And I did find this um, one support group of people with chondrosarcoma, the type of sarcoma that I had. And um, there weren't that many members on the group, say a few hundred. Um, but, you know, it was really... Um, I don't know if reassuring is the right word, but it was. It, there, I did take some comfort in finding other people that had gone through this and also in the same location because the locate the particular it was. It turned out that it was on a rib, which is why it wasn't. It didn't show up in the mammo because it was not in the breast. It was actually on my rib, um, and so that's not a normal location for it either. But there were some people. Um, in very far away places who had, you know, who had the same situation. And so um, they were, you know, welcome to the club. You never wanted to, to join, you know, but it was nice to, to find them. Were they ever able to offer any satisfactory explanation as to why you might have this strange sarcoma? No, um, there's really no explanation. I'm you know, sometimes it could be possibly related to a trauma that just was, you know, that maybe caused the mutation to start growing, but really no, there's no known reason um, and very likely had been a slow-growing tumor. Um, so what's that like to not have any idea why it is? I mean, at least with some other types of cancers, there are risk factors, you know say smoking, for some people who have lung cancer, smoking is a risk factor, not everybody. But in your case, there's no risk factors, there's no known cause. So what's that like to deal with this uncertainty and the fact that there will, there will always likely be uncertainty around this? It's, um, it's a bit frustrating. Uh, it's also um, interesting how many people, I think one of the ways that people um, deal with it is they, they want to know, you know, they're like, well, did you eat? you don't eat organic food or you don't exercise or I think people want to people want to find a reason and um, there just isn't one and 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 so there's really no it, it was frustrating but at the same time I've just accepted that there you know it's a random happening so that's funny so the frustration I mean, there is this uncertainty in your mind, but it's perhaps even more difficult because there's this uncertainty in other people's minds around you. Yes, I think the fear, you know, everybody's, it's its a scary thing to hear um, of somebody young and, you know, parents, other parents hearing it, you know, they're, they, I think it's natural to want to sort of find a cause for it. Right, almost as if people can say to themselves, well, you know, Heidi did this, and that's why she has cancer. Right. I don't do that, exactly. so therefore I will never get cancer. Exactly. Some way of sort of, I don't know, insulating yourself somewhat from this unexpected act. And yet you had somebody right here at Maine Magazine, Maine Home Design, that also had cancer and was a young woman and had gone through this process not too far ahead of you. Actually, Rebecca Falzano was on our show, um, I believe, last November. So was that helpful to have somebody who had gone through something some this strange cancer experience as a young person it was it was helpful um it was rebecca was incredibly supportive um as was everyone you know here at the magazine um but having the personal 
experience um, was just a little comforting. Um, and, you know, knowing that she was okay and back, you know, back to her regular, her life. Um, oddly enough, we ended up at the, with the exact same practice, um, the exact same hospital, had surgery, you know, oh, you know, I was on that floor. And so in those, in those little ways too, it was comforting to kind of, oh, you should eat here and, you know, you can get, you know, um, a good salad here. And, and so even those small type of things, the, the, the smaller things that you don't necessarily think about. Main Magazine, Main Home Design, Brand Company, um, and all called the Main Media Collective, I think altogether employs less, fewer than 20 people. And yet they were able to somehow pull together and make things work so that you could go and do what you needed to do, Rebecca could go and do what she needed to do, and at the same time keep producing magazines every month and putting on events. That says something about the people who work here. It says so much. Um, it, right, f- I mean, from the moment that I um, went in to talk to Kevin Thomas, the publisher, um, and Susan Grisanti, the editor-in-chief, um, the support that they had, it was take the time you need. We care about you. We want you to be well. You know, your health is the most important thing. And um, everybody stepped up. Um, Katie Gable, the art director of Maine Magazine, didn't even didn't even blink an eye and said, "I will, you know, I'll do whatever I need to do." And she she literally, you know, with the support of the rest of the staff, um, put out two magazines, and it was a really busy time. So, and Rebecca, of course, took on extra responsibilities to to cover for me while I while I was having the surgery and recovering. Why do you think? the people that you work with here are as supportive as they are? I mean, it might seem like kind of a strange question, but I think in this day and age, we often look at the workplace as the place where we go to work, and then we leave and we go home, and we separate them out in our minds. But people actually had to be um, more like friends to you in order to really make this happen. Um, I think that because we're a small staff, we've, you know, we really have um, gotten to know each other. Um, and we all really love what we do here, and it just um, is never really a question. We all we always um, cover for each other, and I think that that's part of the community that both Kevin and Susan, um, you know, each each week in our meetings, I think that's one of the things that they try to um, stress is that it's not, you know, it's a community. It's not this is this one person's job. It's that we're all a team. Any last thoughts for people who are listening here on this Mother's Day show? It's important to always focus on the positive and to not be stuck in the past and the negative and to just move forward. Well, I can attest to the fact that you do embody exactly what you've said because I've known you long enough now that you, you live your life exactly the way you've described And this is something that is very meaningful because people can say things and people can say that they believe things, but it's truly the people who don't often say much, but but they live their lives in a way that really reflects a deeper set of core values. So I really appreciate your coming in and talking to us today about your experience. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
And for those who um, would like to learn more about what you do for work every month, Maine Home Design Magazine, as the art director, they can get a glimpse of of all of the um, the inspiration that you offer to the state of Maine. So thank you for doing that. Thanks. And we've been talking with Heidi Kern, art director of Maine Home Design Magazine. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. We on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast hope that our listeners enjoy their own work lives to the same extent we do and fully embrace every day. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. So did you ever wonder why geese fly in a V formation when they head south for the winter? Amazingly, they know that a V pattern increases their speeds by more than 70% versus flying in another pattern or alone. When in formation, they share the leadership and have a mutual respect for their common goal, which is to arrive safely at their destination. They equally divide the hardest tasks, gather their faculties, and combine their resources and talents. This unified effort, their formation, makes the journey easier. Less energy is expended because they are all working together for a common cause. When the leader tires, he goes back to the end of the formation and another team member takes the lead. Each goose or a member of the team uses their voice or quack to encourage the leader to stay focused and to keep organized. So how does the V formation of migrating geese apply to running your business or your household? In a word, team a group working together to accomplish and achieve the same goal with mutual respect and understanding. Those teams will always come out ahead. Unlike the lowly seagull who scavenges and shouts mine, only looking out for its own best interest without ever seeming to get anywhere, geese are unified and always looking out for each other, applying the law of least effort and gaining the most. It's a lesson we all could learn. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Seabags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind nautical-inspired pieces. Please visit the Seabags store in Portland or Freeport or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. Today in the studio we have with us Sarah Roof Lindquist, who is the CEO of the Maine Women's Fund, and also Michaela Cavallero, who is on the board of the Maine Women's Fund. And it's especially appropriate because today happens to be Mother's Day, and it's all about women and mothers and um, really being appreciative of the things that it takes to um, be a woman supporting herself in this world and encouraging her family to support um, 
I guess, itself in this world. So thanks so much for coming in and being a part of our show today. Thanks. So the Maine Women's Fund, talk to me about that. The Women's Fund was established in 1989 by a group of women who felt that there needed to be a focused philanthropy for women and girls in Maine, as there was in many other parts of the country. And since then, the Women's Fund has awarded a little over $1.7 million in grants to organizations uh, supporting women and girls. Currently, our focus is on overcoming challenges to economic security. Michaela, you have a background in finance, and I think economic security is pretty important to you, and perhaps that may be one of the reasons why you're so involved in the Women's Fund. Um, One of the things that I know has been out there for a while is this knowledge that men and women don't make the same amount of money. Right. Uh, Yeah, the gender pay gap is um, something that has gotten under my skin for, for a long time. And so in Maine, um, women make 79 cents to every dollar that a man makes. And the idea is that they are working in, um, you know, the same job. Um, and that's a problem. It hurts women individually. Obviously, it hurts women's families. And it hurts communities. And so that's the type of thing that um, our grant making at the fund seeks to change over time. So what are some of the um, projects that you've supported? I know that the you just had a grant cycle finished in January. You awarded grants in March. What are some of the more recent grants that have gone out? This year, we uh, we had a grant. Oh, I give it to you. A <laughs> grant making cycle that awarded um, seventy five thousand dollars to organizations like A Company of Girls, which is a theater program here in Portland, to expand their after school visual and theater arts program for elementary through high school age girls. Um, uh, one of our uh, longtime grantees is Hardy Girls Healthy Women in Waterville, and we uh, last year and this year supported their Adventure Girls program, which helps uh, girls get in touch with women doing a lot of non-traditional work and actually go on site and hear from them and see um, the work that they do. The Women's Policy Center, uh, working to uh, change policy uh, in, in Augusta. The Margaret Chase Smith Center, where we support the Maine New Leadership Program, which brings college-age women into an opportunity to learn about what it would be like to run for office. And um, other organizations uh, that are somewhat new to us, The Real School, and supporting their STEM education program for girls. Trekkers, which is in the Midcoast, an expeditionary learning program, um, and another perennial uh, grantee of ours, Women Work in Community, which used to be called the Displaced Homemakers. Well, actually, that's fascinating because that really does sort of reflect this cultural shift that we've made from thinking about women as homemakers to thinking about women as actually working within the community. Um, You also have been involved with the community school. Yes, and I was just telling Sarah that's it's one of my favorite programs to talk about. We've funded them for the last couple years. Um, we also funded their expansion into Washington County a couple years ago. And in particular, we fund a program called Passages, which um, supports teen parents, most of whom obviously are teen moms, who have major challenges in finishing school and getting an education, as let alone parenting. And so the way that this program works is that um, trained uh, teachers visit um, the teen parents at their homes and 
guide them to complete their coursework and also simultaneously help them with parenting issues, with logistics of daily life. So the um, young women who this program touches end up with a high school diploma and some real support as they navigate the tricky task of, of being a really young mom. And it, so it's a very labor-intensive, time-intensive program that makes real change. Sarah, you've, um, you have a very long list of impressive degrees. Actually, both of you do. You both have a wealth of experience. You both have been involved. Sarah, you have a background um, as, I don't know if you're a practicing attorney, but you certainly um, you received your law degree. And Michaela, you were the former editor of Maine Biz. You've been a board member on with the SALT Institute. And um, why, why do this? Why is this so important to each of you? Well, you know, that wage gap is something that uh, is inspiring to me. And um, so I feel very strongly that um, we need to we need to level that playing field for for women and girls and uh, Maine is is such a wonderful place to live and be and it should be uh, as wonderful a place to live and be for for boys girls men and women so uh, I, I think we have a really important mission in terms of making this a just society and making it uh, a just society for the future Yeah, uh, all of that resonates with me. I also, I've been involved with women's issues and passionate about women's issues since college. So going on longer than I would like to admit, I'm not gonna do the math right now. Um, And so that's always been just a core part of my values. And then seven years ago this week, I had a little girl. Um, And that really sort of renewed my passion for for women's issues and for making sure that she has every opportunity open to her you know that the little boy across the street has um, and it's been it's been entertaining to watch her grow up we were watching uh, an episode of the West Wing recently and she happened to be in the room and she plopped down on the couch and said daddy there are a lot of men in this show and okay, let's have a conversation about that. So, um, you know, I want to have those conversations with her, and I want other kids to have those conversations. How can people find out about the Maine Women's Fund? Well, we have a fabulous marketing uh, and communications committee that is chaired by none other than Michaela Caballero, and they work very hard to... um, make connections with organizations like yours, Dr. Lisa, and uh, other media outlets and are getting ready to tackle the website and, and, and uh, revisit that. People can go to MainWomensFund.org and learn about us. Uh, we have offices in Portland and in Camden. And uh, we are uh, open to hearing from people whether they want to become involved. We have an extensive list of committees. We're developing uh, regional groups of volunteers throughout the state. We just concluded a needs assessment over the winter to learn about the needs of women and girls in 14 out of the 16 counties in Maine. So uh, no matter where people are in Maine, we would love to hear from them if they're interested in the work that we do or learning more. Um, all they have to do is, is write or, or call. 
And there are a few tickets still left for the luncheon, if if I'm correct, right? <laughs> there are there are about a hundred out of the six hundred um, left. So get them get them while they're hot. And what will you be doing on Mother's Day? That is a very good question. I have decreed that I will not be cooking or cleaning, um, and there will probably be some combination of some family time and some time where I get to be blissfully by myself. If I can get the puppy, the, ch- the child will be fine. If I can get the puppy on board with this plan, that will be the big accomplishment. Well, we're very fortunate that Flatbread Pizza has a fundraiser for us on Mother's Day, and I think it's $3 of every pie right. that they sell will go to the Women's Fund, and we really appreciate that. We'll have volunteers there for most of the day to um, share information about the fund and thank people for coming in. Well. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us on our Mother's Day show. We've been talking with Sarah Roof Lindquist, who is the CEO of the Maine Women's Fund, and also Michaela Cavallero, who is a board member of the Maine, on the Maine Women's Fund. So we appreciate your doing this great work for the state of Maine. Well, thank you for having us, and happy Mother's Day. Thanks. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 87, Mother's Day. This week's mom-honoring show has included guests Kim Kalicki, author of Mothers Fulfilled, Heidi Kern, cancer survivor and art director of Maine Home and Design, Maine Women's Fund CEO Sarah Roof Lindquist, and board member Michaela Cavallero. For more information on our guests, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, Sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter and Pinterest and read my take on health and well-being on the Bountiful blog. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, hoping that you have enjoyed our Mother's Day show, and also hoping that you take the time to honor the mothers and mother-like figures in your own life. That's what I'll be doing today. Happy Mother's Day to my mom and my sisters, my sisters-in-law, and all the women that I know who do such a great job raising their kids. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Seabags, Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, and Ted Carter Inspired Landscapes. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street in Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Summaries of all our past shows can be found at doctorlisa.org.